Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Tuesday, December 10th, the day that the Vancouver Canucks are set to take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And oh, what fun this game promises to be. Two teams that uh, I think want to play a high-octane run-and-gun style. Talk about that a little bit in today's interview. And uh, hey, why why delay? Let's get right to it. I am joined uh, today to discuss tonight's action by Leafs podcaster and Yahoo Sports digital content guru, Andrew Zuber. Zubes is a good friend, and it was a pleasure chatting with him. I know it's Leafs-related content, but uh, I think you guys are going to like this one. Here it is. All right. It is the Canucks and Maple Leafs this evening at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. A 7 p.m. puck drop, which is a rare thing, of course, as uh, when Toronto comes to town, usually Vancouver's ordinary schedule flies out the window. We'll talk about that in just a second. But joining me to discuss this game is uh, one of the hosts of Locked on Leafs. You can find his stuff at Yahoo Sports Canada as well. It's Andrew Zuber, the Zoobs finally joins me on the show we're doing a locked on crossover event here this is the infinity war of locked on podcasts <laughs> i think uh, zoops thanks so much for doing this man oh looking for uh, i'm looking forward to it and i'm glad you brought it up what, what is this this game should be happening at four o'clock for you guys we, we should be <laughs> the the skate should already be happening i you know what i mean this is this, there should be a injunction with the league because this is absurd so i have to wait till 10 p.m to watch the Canucks, uh, it's criminal. It should be criminal. Well, this is always a huge contentious debate every single time because it's, I mean, typically these are Hockey Night in Canada games, and it's kind of odd to me that this one is not, to be perfectly honest. I can't remember the last time the Leafs and Canucks met that wasn't a Saturday night game or should I say Saturday afternoon game because <laughs> we always capitulate to the start time that is you know uh, more preferable to the Toronto audience and this is always something that makes Vancouver freak out about you know why do we have to do this this is so stupid that these games are always early this is our home ice advantage and yet we're playing on the other team's schedule it doesn't make any sense you know, uh, is this anything that ever comes up? Does this even register as a blip on the radar in Toronto when those games are, you know, as early as they are? We never think about it. <laughs> other than <laughs> other than to bask in how upset it must make Vancouver fans, uh, never think about it. I, I will say, not as a slight, but Edmonton, Edmonton has the Hockey Night in Canada slot this year. And so it's Connor McDavid was, was ruled more important. Uh, than Vancouver sort of situation. But uh, no, it, it doesn't come up. This will be the one night of complaints, having to stay up till 10 p.m. for puck drop. But I'm, I'm actually glad that it's uh, a 7 p.m. game there because it is sort of silly, as fun as it is to flex like that. Uh, it is silly to have suddenly a random 4 p.m. game. But um, no, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad it's a 10 p.m. game. I like late sports. I know that probably can't relate on the West Coast because everything is, is on at a great time. But yeah. I'm happy about it. Well, actually, you know what I will say, as much as uh, it becomes this huge contentious point when Toronto is in town and the time shifts for the Leafs, we just had a one o'clock Saturday afternoon game uh, on Saturday against the Buffalo Sabres and nobody complained about it at all. And personally, I loved it. Like the game was over 
by about four o'clock, my post-game duties were done by, you know, six or so. And then suddenly you still have the entire evening ahead of you. It's not like hockey absorbed your entire Saturday night. And yet when the Leafs are in town, I never think of it that way ever at all. <laughs> That's actually a great point. And and who doesn't love afternoon sports? Like so so much of the appeal for why people watch uh Premier League soccer is that it's an afternoon sport on the weekends. That's a big part of football's appeal. Uh you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and weekend baseball, of course. Yeah. Well, uh you know one of the big focal points coming into this game from the Vancouver side, of course, from a narrative perspective is Josh Levo, who could not find a home on the Toronto roster last season, was uh, shipped to Vancouver for essentially nothing. You know, uh, we gave you guys uh, an AHL player in Michael Carcone or Michael Carcone. I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name, <laughs> uh, who will probably never amount to being an NHL player. And Josh Levo is, you know, a, a pretty formidable middle six winger. The guy is on pace for, I think, a four. 44 or 43 point season this year and obviously that can change because he's scored in bunches and been a little bit streaky but uh, I think you know it, he couldn't find a, a spot on the Leafs roster and a part of me wonders if Babcock were not the coach last year if that would have been different if Sheldon Keefe would have been able to find a home for this guy. It's a, it's a great point because what's been going on with the bottom of the Maple Leafs roster right now and, and the place where when you look at Levo, you say, man, he could really make a difference on, on some of these lines uh, is they've had to shuttle so many guys back and forth. Nick Patan or, or um, you know, Jason Spence has been in and out of the lineup. There's been a lot of guys that go up and down um, as sort of part of this cap crunch that is happening at the bottom of this roster. And Levo would definitely... Uh, be somebody right now that I, I think would probably have a place here and even beyond just it being uh, Babcock I, I think he would have been able to to find a place just with the nature of the way the roster is uh, this year versus the way that it it was at the time that Levo was shipped out um, glad to see a, a guy like that uh, make it happen and I think it was a little bit of sort of a, a hubris uh, adjacent move from this front office to sort of say, well, we have so much talent that it's that it doesn't really matter if we can we can move out guys like this, um, and that has proven to be a bit of a challenge this year. But yeah, I, I definitely think there would have been a place for him on the 2019-2020 version of this team, if not, you know, last year. That being said, you know, it, it, would they have valued him much higher than they value Nick Shore or Nick Patan or or even Pierre Engvall at this point? That is hard to say. Um, I think they sort of view the way that the the top end talent guys get paid is they can facilitate through sort of anybody to those wings, um, and, and Levo would have fit that point as well. But um, it, it's definitely an interesting study and somebody that there are more than a few Maple Leafs fans that that have spoken up about you know missing that presence along with someone like um, Connor Brown who they saw go to Ottawa. Yes, uh, one of the two Browns on Ottawa, of course. <laughs> well, what's what's changed then about that uh, roster makeup between last year and this year? Obviously, you guys had to uh, pay a, a first-round pick to get Patrick Marlowe off the roster. Uh, and when I say you guys, I mean, of course, uh, you know, everyone in Toronto is part of the Leafs organization. Of course. Uh, I don't know why I'm, I'm lumping you all together. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the front office had to do that. And as you mentioned, Connor Brown as well. Like, just... It's shaving salary, I suppose, and in doing so, you open up all these spots that Levo probably could have filled. 
Yeah, that that's absolutely right. Um, about half the roster on opening night was different than it was last year. You like the the defensive pairings is all pretty much it's it's half and half. You have you have someone like Morgan Riley who um, has been there for a very long time, and Travis Dermott who is in the system, and and Jake Muzzin who you know is returning but was really a trade deadline ish guy, so he only played half a season. And then it's Tyson Berry who's brand new, Cody Cece who's brand new, Justin Hall who was a scratch all of last year. So you see the way he's being used as sort of somebody that could be similar to how Lebo was used. Um, you know, uh, Nick Patan came in late last year, Pontus Aberg, uh, the, really the whole bottom six is completely different. Kerfoot was part of that cadre trade. Um, Trevor Moore is somebody who only got a sniff last year and is another guy that is sort of at that same sort of value internally at the time as Josh Levo, but is a, a little younger. He's only 21. Um, Nick Shore, uh, Jason Spezza, basically there's about half the bottom half of the roster. All those bottom six roles that are up for grabs right now uh, are coming from guys who are either, you know, played half a season last year or really never broke through at that level from the AHL. And and the, the biggest impact guy that's been different uh, is Kasperi, not, pardon me, not Kapanen, but uh, Ilya Mikheyev has come over from Russia, 24 years old, and has really uh, been an interesting fit. He's got good speed and not great hands. Um, sort of an interesting fit there. Um, so there is there's quite a bit of turnover. Uh, like all those names, that's that's half of the of the starting roster. It, it's really been the only returning presence that you, is is Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, uh, you know, Marner, and um, Kapanen. So they, they really split it. As to the six guys that you knew were going to be here and six guys uh, that are sort of filtering into the lineup. Andreas Janten as well was somebody there that they've committed to. But it really is a half-and-half half battle right now versus those guys making the big money at the top and then hoping to strike gold in, in filtering through eight, nine guys to play the bottom six roles. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ilya Mikheyev there, and it's funny to think that this random player that they just plucked out of, I think, Russia, what am mm-hmm. I... Yeah, uh, was able to just land in kind of a plum role on this team, whereas last year, oh, sorry, Josh, we just have nothing for you at the time. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know what? As much as uh, Toronto guys might miss him, and you said, you know, uh, that decision might be haunting this team as far as uh, the depth they thought they had versus what they actually have, I like moves like that. You know, that that's a good guy move from Kyle Dubas to say, look, man, you have been practicing with this team for a year and a half without really being able to find a place on it. This is the prime of your career. If you're not playing now, you're not going to play essentially and making a move to just find him a place to land looking and actively finding the team with the worst winger depth in the league, which happened to be Vancouver last year. And, and sending him on his way to a place where he was going to get that opportunity. As, as much as it might not be you know, something that uh, has, has panned out perfectly for the Leafs in terms of what they got back and what they might need now, that, that's the kind of thing that we need to see more of in hockey. Guys actually looking out for, for players' well-being and, and the, the benefit of their careers, essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. And those slots, those guys that are 24, 25, 26 years old that are sort of, as you said, ha- haven't established themselves but are still in their prime, there's a lot of those guys, and you sort of get what happens in, in the baseball sort of same similar situation with, with contracts. Once a guy gets to arbitration, he becomes, you know, teams are just like, oh, we don't really need that anymore. And and a lot of those guys are good enough, given the opportunity, that they could stick. And, 
And Levo's a great example of that, as is Mikheyev. I think, you know, every team probably has a couple guys that sort of get jerked around by that AHL player label and, and can't find a way in their organization. And, you know, the Golden Knights are a great example of, of putting a bunch of those guys together and, and really hitting gold with a few. So um, it is a, it, is, it was the right move, and it has not, definitely not, uh, worked out too heavily in the Maple Leafs' favor as any kind of defenseman would have also been a great return for that. But <laughs> sorry for another day. Well, you, you did mention as well Jason Spezza in there, and I don't want to dwell on this for very long, but uh, Spezza involved in one of the great blunders, really, we've ever seen last week in that Colorado game, getting crossed up with, uh, I believe it was Morgan Riley at the blue line and allowing just uh, the Avs to be off to the races on a breakaway. Have uh, Leafs fans um, been forgiving on that, or is he becoming a, a new whipping boy after a highlight that will kind of live forever in infamy? No, uh, he's escaped. He's escaped what I think would have been a different level of, of sort of uh, memification and and really having to wear this. Uh, everyone here sort of really likes Jason Spezza, and and it's not sort of a situation where um, he's a he's a hometown boy, and he used to play for a rival, and he really sort of got jerked around under Babcock. It seemed like it seemed like he got Big a pretty time. pretty unfair shake. So um, everyone sort of just been happy to to see him uh, get a chance to, to show that he still has it. Um, and he looked pretty shaky early in the year. But, you know, that was uh, pretty much the culmination of the latest, like, plummet into panic in this city. And I think the thing that may excuse him from that, it, it was, it was a, coming from a place of a good heart. He was trying to make, he was trying to do the right thing and stop that puck with his skate. Uh, he just got really poorly tangled up. So he is, he's survived uh, like a take apocalypse on his action there. Yeah, it, he, it, the way he explained it was like trying to get out of the way. And he, of course, like tried to get out of the way in all of the wrong ways and winds up basically pick and rolling his own man at the blue line. But the way he explained it, it I look at the footage and I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like everything mm -hmm. went wrong that what you tried to do, but the process of what you were trying to do still is, you know, I think good overall, even if it just blew up in the worst way possible. So I'm glad that he has uh, escaped uh, take apocalypse, as you call it. <laughs> Uh, if if the focal point on the narrative side, though, for Vancouver is Josh Levo, then I have to imagine that Toronto is hearing quite a bit today about uh, the two guys that you got back in the Nazem Kadri trade, and that's Alex Kerfoot and Tyson Berry, who both have uh, West Coast ties. Is it, uh, you know, all the stories today in Toronto about these guys coming home, essentially? Um, not as much. They, we just went through a bunch of that with, uh, they played Colorado twice in the last little bit what has really uh -huh. been the focus for the last week or so and sort of it, it it was able to pass once they beat the blues was austin matthews had not scored uh in quite some time and had also not scored on the road much this season so seeing him break through that um it's it's an interesting time with stories uh in the city right now with, with just sort of how um the team really can't seem to establish any sort of identity over the course of more than two or three games. There was a, a long lull there as the team clearly tuned out and separated from Babcock and then a really bright burst once Keefe came aboard. And then that was replaced with sort of three games of seeing the same old team. So um, the win against the Blues on Saturday was a nice step and, and was what we were looking for sort of as, as 
a fan base really looking to cling to a big win against a tough opponent with this new sort of coaching staff and the new style. And really this whole road trip is really being viewed as a test of, of what this team is really made of. We are at that point of the season where it's not trade deadline time yet, but it, it it's getting close enough that that sort of stuff can be the beginning stages of being talked about. And we're really going to see over this next stretch of, of games in this next month or so seems to be the talk in the city is really figuring out where this team is because, um, you know, the razor, the, the, the margins are so razor thin in the NHL right now that the difference between being a playoff team and not being a playoff team could end up being pretty small. Uh, and that's true for a lot of teams in this league and it has especially been so with um, sort of that real rut the Maple Leafs got, them in, so, got themselves in. So um, really the talk here has been using this road trip to really establish what this team is and whether they are going to be uh, a playoff team or not it may come down to the next week or two weeks um you know i don't know if you noticed this but there was a bit of a, a hubbub out here out west on friday as uh canucks twitter basically cannibalized itself going to war <laughs> uh with itself over the word mediocre uh jackson mcdonald friend of the show uh from canucks army wrote a piece saying that the canucks are mediocre which is exactly what they are if you compare how they performed in october versus how they performed in november and kind of try to get a feel of where they're at on the season, uh, it's funny that a team that's kind of on the rise and hoping to make the playoffs for the first time with this group, the fans would have a conniption fit over that word mediocre. And yet I think if you look at the Leafs in Toronto right now and the season that they're having and what you just described as far as the up and down inconsistent struggles, a team that had so much expectation heaped on it coming into the year, I think there was all kinds of talk about this is the, the Leafs year where they're going to go to the cup final they're finally going to get past boston so on etc this is a cup aspiration team and not just aspirations but like i don't know how it played in, in toronto itself but it seemed like there were a ton of media picking the leafs as a cup favorite and if you were to call them mediocre at this point in the season that would probably be accepted because they have disappointed expectation relative to a canucks team that uh you know, is still just average, but at least is better than they have been in years previous. Is it fair to call the Maple Leafs mediocre this season? Oh, ab- absolutely. And you make a great point about sort of that that up and coming and, and how many people were on board. People that aren't Leafs fans, people that, you know, make models to determine sort of a rough estimate of how a season will play out. Um, the Maple Leafs have absolutely been mediocre and they... It's it's been very tough to parse. Um, you know, you don't want to turn into a full like radio caller where you're like they're not playing hard enough. But they also did sort of come out and say after after Babcock, Babcock was fired that they weren't playing hard enough. So it, it gets really difficult. It's it really more than anything. I think the reason that mediocre would be accepted is the team has just not been fun to watch for huge portions of this season of the of the thirty plus games that they have played this year. They have been maybe. Maybe three or four that were fun. Like even when they were winning early on, it was really, really not a, a fun style to watch. The first game under Keith was fun, and Saturday against the Blues was fun. Uh, that may be it for like definite, definite fun games, and that's been a big part of it. And you know that expectation from outside sources and from within, it comes along with the guys that they chose to pay and the statement they made with riding with those 
guys as what will drive the team for the long distance future and the near term. Um, you know, Mitch Marner went from a, a guy that everybody loved here and a guy that was like led the team in scoring two years in a row and could do no wrong. And oh, he's the best passer in the league and he's so creative with the puck, too. And oh, I love him so much more than Austin Matthews because Absolutely. he happens to be from the Toronto area. Yeah. And now that he makes $11 million, you know, it's become like, well, he's scoring points, but it's none of his five on five. And, and that's true. And, and, but it's really become an interesting shift in there are three or four guys that get the blame or the praise. When you mention you know, guys like Barry, um, he's gotten off to a rough start, so he's taken the brunt of it. But it almost always comes down to Matthews and Marner and Riley. Those are the guys that, that wear every victory or loss. With the, and the, the only other guy is Anderson, who has been... The only dude who, like, when half the team comes out and is like, oh, we stopped playing hard under Babcock, the goalie's like, what? (laughs) 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 The goalie only has one option, and that is to play, like, panicked 24-7. Anderson's been great, but but, uh, everybody in front of him has taken their turn. Uh, being the whipping guy uh, over the next, over the last 30-plus games. Uh, Everybody's had it, and... uh, That'll continue until they go on a run where where they win a bunch of games. If if that is going to happen, that's probably going to have to be what helps them out here in the second half. Well, being kind of selected as a cup favorite, I think, makes a lot of sense for the Leafs this year as well because they really did push, uh, push all their chips in, right? Because Tyson Berry, you know, very probably is not going to be a Maple Leaf next season. I don't. I just don't see with their cap structure the ability to pay him what he's going to command and and uh, be able to keep him around. And that is a guy who is a premier defenseman. You're not going to be able to replace a guy like that uh, internally on the back end. I don't think. And if you have him for one year, then this is kind of the year. And I think when you talk about the 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 way that the team was just not fun to watch and was punishingly, uh, you know. <laughs> unentertaining under Babcock, Tyson Berry suddenly becomes kind of a focal point there as well, because this is one of the most dynamic offensive defensemen in the league. And it doesn't seem like under Babcock, he really had the ability to do what makes his game successful. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was like poetry that he had, that he came out of the gate and immediately scored the first goal of the Keefe era and continued a nice little hot streak in those first five games. Um, you know, when you when you have something like a coaching change and you're promised stylistic changes, there are certain guys that become the poster for those changes. And um, Barry has really become the measuring stick for Dubas versus Babcock. That has been sort of looking looking for those guys. Uh, and using them as sort of what is changed in this team has become a, a big talking point as well. And, and Barry has been uh, sort of the, the number one guy for that comparison. And it's been an interesting year uh, in terms of sort of, you know, when you look at the offseason now, it, it was clear and two, two offseasons ago as well when uh, Dubas came aboard that he had this process of getting rid of a lot of the Lou slash Babcock guys and bringing in these other guys that are, you know, the, the, no real, uh, there's no Leo Komarov in the bunch, uh, you know, which is sort of funny to see how well <laughs> the Islanders keep doing. Uh, 
<laughs> but it, you know, it's it's one of those things that's just that's just the way it works. But um, yeah, he's he's really been indicative of of what this team says they want to be about, and and all, all the talk adds up to you know you know well as a, a guy who watches. I'm sure you've seen the the Avalanche many many times. He was a 60 point guy the last two years. There was it was basically like 59, 57. That was should be a lock, and you would think in this system that would be back to where he would be. But he has been well below that, except uh, in this limited space with 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 Sheldon Keefe and and you know Morgan Riley and and Mitch Marner are also guys that you would hypothetically assume uh, should really stand out in this system, and and that is the hope. The 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 big the big name that everyone has knew they would hate and have predictably hated is Cody Cece. Uh, it's worked out as but as well as you can assume, uh, giving Cody Cece first line minutes can possibly go. But every I think I think one thing that I try to posit when I'm talking on Sportsfile with Jake is like every team has a defenseman that they just hate, right? Like that's that's not just the Leafs thing. Every team in the league has a the, the fifth or sixth defenseman who gets played too much. That's not I'm not crazy, right? Uh, yeah, that seems about right, I think. Maybe not the Canucks this year, finally. I think they finally have proper depth, unless you want to think that maybe Alex Edler should be further down the depth chart at this point in his career than he actually is. But hey, he's injured right now, so we don't have to worry about that for tonight's action. Um, before we wrap up, though, uh, Zoobs, I do want to talk to you about Mike Babcock, because you mentioned the sure. uh, Dubas versus Babcock divide. You also mentioned earlier Jason Spezza kind of getting jerked around by Babs earlier in the season, and that's definitely correct. You know, after the firing and after all these reports come out about how uh, Mike Babcock is actually just a horrible human being, one of the things that's pointed to is the fact that, well, he did not allow Mike Medano to cross that game's played threshold uh, at the end of his career when he was playing in Detroit. He just sat him, benched him for like 13 games in a row at the end of his career instead of allowing him to play, I think, either his 14th or uh, 15th hundredth uh, NHL game. I think it was 1,500, if I'm not mistaken. And you got a guy like Spezza at the beginning of the year who's obviously showed up early. He's been there right from the moment guys are skating. He's put the work in. He's trying to do everything that he can to help this young group along. He's got like 50 family members with tickets coming to see him for the home opener. And he is scratched and does not play that game that made a bunch of waves after the fact as an example of Babcock maybe not being uh, a very nice person uh, did that really uh, you know stir up uh, some some waves as well when it happened and you know were there indications within the market that maybe this guy is is not a very good dude or did all of this just come pouring out after he was fired um, it, on opening night, the, the Spezza thing definitely, definitely resonated with a lot of people. Uh, and not that it was, uh, this is why Babcock needs to be fired, but it was just sort of like a recognition, like, well, this is who he is, and and this is what this is what he does, and this is what we signed on for. And I think, um, in terms of of hearing beforehand that maybe Mike Babcock wasn't the most beloved coach Maple Leafs have ever had, that is something that you. You would hear from somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, if, if you know what that what I mean. And it was always oh, for sure, yeah. It was always um, Matthews that was somebody that like that relation. It was we never heard like, oh man, they they get along so great. Like that never came out. It was always having to sort of downplay how bad the relationship is. And and you know there was always the stories of him visiting uh, Matthews throughout the off season and, and heading to Arizona. And it, it's a very 
very clear that that you know Mike Babcock is probably not the coach that they needed at at this step. Um, he was you know it, it's been a difficult juggling between like he did accomplish a lot of stuff. He gave them back to back 100 point seasons and and really allowed them to go from a team that was full on tank to full his full season his first season to like a consistent contender and and there is some commendation for that but clearly like i don't know you know you probably maybe you don't see the everyday mike babcock scrums that you do when you live in toronto but he is a, the kind of guy that like the the folksy nature and just the way that he approaches everything the first two years you're like oh man this is so like wow it's mike babcock this is so neat and he's so folksy and then year four or five, you're like, all right, like, just shut up. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care anymore. And I can only imagine being 22 years old and being like totally made in the city and, and being a great player and having him give you this like Mike Babcock routine. And you're just like, fuck you, man. Like, I just don't care anymore. And, you know, it's also been quite a while since he's had deep success in the league. He was a great coach. In the aughts, but he, he never really had a great, uh, you know, since in the last 10 years, it really hasn't been a great run for Mike Babcock. The team's always been good. He's always coached good teams, but he hasn't been a, a super, super great coach. So, um, yeah, he's definitely taken it on the chin on the way out and, and a lot of people laughing to to see him uh, hit the unemployment line. And, and as you've seen, I mean, it's there's been a, a whirlwind of change just in the way that hockey coaches are talked about in, in the NHL since that firing, that has really been something to see. And I think that is a product of the Toronto environment. I, I don't know if, if you know, a, a coach gets fired from the Minnesota Wild and it comes out that he was a dick to a player, that all of a sudden we're, we're changing the relationship between coaches and players for, you know, generations to come. I think that's really interesting. And that is sort of a sign of, of how powerful this this. Uh, sort of plays can be to play hockey and and signing on to be the coach of the Maple Leafs isn't always just signing on to be the coach of a hockey team. It's It can be really, really crazy uh, how big things get in, in the matter of hours here. Well, I don't know that this uh, kind of whirlwind of change and as you and I are uh, talking, Jim Nill has uh, uh, relieved Jim Montgomery of his duties behind the bench of the Dallas Stars for reasons that have not been made public, but will certainly, I would imagine, creep out in the days to come. I don't know how much of that happens without Don Cherry being fired uh, mm -hmm. as well and that kind of um, igniting players to feel like they can speak out about the culture of hockey because yeah we had like a week-long meltdown in this country about how no one wanted to have that discussion but it turns out there actually are a number of people who do and a lot of them happen to be hockey players or former hockey players so uh those two things kind of go hand in hand and look i know that uh, it's been a, a difficult topic as far as uh you know abuse allegations and and bill peters racism and all that sort of thing there have been tough subjects to come out of this but I do th feel like on some level, you know, this, I don't want to say that it's a revelation because as you said, it kind of the whisper network already knew that this was the, the case. This public criticism of Mike Babcock being a, 
horrible human being <laughs> is kind of a godsend, I would imagine, for the narrative that you were going to be looking at in Toronto otherwise, because you have absolute goombas like Brandon <laughs> Prust on Twitter are speaking out about the fact that if you had a real hockey guy running the show there and then they'd gone with Hunter or whatever, uh, things would be awful different and he wouldn't have this team in a tailspin right now. You know, there was all, it seemed like at the moment of the firing, things were gearing up again for the 200 hockey men to try and blast this progressive kid who's not a kid. He's the same age as I am, and I'm certainly not a kid, uh, <laughs> out, of the, out of this position that he's in because change doesn't often happen in a role like Kyle Dubas has. It's not supposed to happen in a market like Toronto. It's supposed to happen outside the margins in a place like Florida or, or a place like Arizona where nobody's paying attention, right? It seemed mm -hmm. like that was going to be the story again, and uh, I would imagine that there are a good many fans who feel relieved that you don't have to go down that road and have that argument for the thousandth time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tonight hopes to be a good one. Uh, the Canucks tend to to uh, not fare particularly well against teams that play smothering defensive styles. They always entertain against wide-open run-and-gun teams, and it certainly seems like under Shelton Keefe anyways, that's sort of closer to what the Maple Leafs are right now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I, I look forward... I really was, was saying as well earlier today on Lock on Leafs, I really actually am looking forward to this matchup. I think, I think Vancouver has a lot of things that... You know, as you know, as a, as a fan of the business, styles make fights, and I think uh, I think there's a great chance of a really beautiful style matchup. I I really am excited to see uh, Quinn Hughes against this against this Maple Leafs penalty kill because they haven't they've been really good under Sheldon Keefe, um, and that was a big problem. The special teams have been a big problem when this team goes cold. That's that's always where it starts, and and the Canucks power play has really been uh, something else, and, and Quinn Hughes is. Uh, really, really a special player, and and we'll see. Uh, that'll be a really fun test and something to keep track of because if they can win that, then you got, I have to like the Maple Leafs' chances of winning this game. But if Vancouver can can break through there, it, it could really be a wild one. I fully agree. I'm really looking forward to this one. These teams always entertain. Even when the Canucks weren't very good, these games were still entertaining. Now that they actually have some more pieces, as you mentioned, Quinn Hughes, I am, uh, I'm licking my chops at the, uh, at the <laughs> idea of what we're going to see this evening. And uh, too sweet, good brother. I fully agree uh, with that. And I uh, want to thank you for coming on, man. I'm shocked that this is the first time you and I are recording a podcast together that is not about the business of professional wrestling. Uh, this is our first time actually talking sports. And I know I've said this to you privately many, many times, but now that I have you in a public space, uh, it would behoove me to mention, I don't know that I would be the podcaster that I am today were I not uh, listening to you and Jake on Sportsfeld all those years ago. So uh, you're, you've been an inspiration to me, and uh, I appreciate uh, every time we get the opportunity to uh, have a little chat here, Zoobs. Uh, Good, good shit, as always. Good Man, shit, pal. What a, what, a, what a touching, what a touching send off. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and it's, uh, it is crazy. Our, our first non-business podcast. We, we need to make a habit of doing it more often. Yeah, it only took like seven years, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you.
There he is, the Zoobs. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I certainly did. And uh, I will be back tomorrow morning, bright and early, to break down all of the results from tonight's game. So more Locked On Canucks coming your way before you know it. Uh, Got a good string of guests going on right now, though tomorrow I will be flying solo to break down tonight's action in its entirety. Do want to ask you one last time, as I always do. Uh, I don't know why I said one last time. I'm going to ask you to do it tomorrow, too, to rate and review the program wherever you happen to get it. I always enjoy reading the reviews on iTunes. They have dried up of late. If you want to leave me one, I would greatly appreciate it. Think of it as a nice little holiday gift to me, uh, just being able to read your kind words on the Apple Podcast Store. That's something quick and easy and free that you can do to help this show, and it really does help the show, not just uh, my mental health, getting to read nice things about myself. Uh, Until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.